Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope you're staying sane in the midst of all the crazy. I don't know about you, but these past few weeks have been pretty nutty on my end. I know, I know, I keep saying that, so I hope this isn't my new baseline. I'm just trying my hardest to lean in to all the energy work and weirdness that is cropping up literally everywhere in my life. I've been getting some interesting guidance from a vampire. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. And continuing on this initiation journey that I've been periodically sharing with you. We're coming to the close of harvest season, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. So things are starting to shift. You can feel the pool of Samhain and the autumnal equinox. Autumnal is a fun word. And for my witches out there, there's a pool to prepare for a more long-term celebration of Mabon, which is one of the eight Sabbaths of the Wheel of Our Year. The equinoxes and solstices are extremely potent centers of power. So remember, if you're wanting to do energy work that's big, those are some of the best days of the year to do it. If you like to charge magical items like crystals or athames, which is a dagger sometimes used ritually, now is a great time to start. There's some juicy new moon energy coming in hot on the 6th of September, which is also Labor Day. So you have the whole day to charge your things. In the Northern Hemisphere, this is the last new moon before the fall equinox. So it's a great one to use the moon as a focal point for pre-gaming for all your equinox workings. I believe there's a full moon on like the 21st of this month, somewhere around there, like right before the equinox starts. So that's also going to be a really nice power spot to do any other workings you may have swimming around your mind. So we've been scooping up fruitful ideas, and now it's time to reflect and begin the descent into the darker parts of the year. Even here in L.A., where we barely have seasons, you can feel this shift, which is so powerful for magic work, for the thinning of the veil, all of those magical jams. So yeehaw! Quick note, if you like Follow the Woo and you want to help support this podcast and get more content, which we're cooking up a bunch of new stuff currently, including behind-the-scenes content about my mystical initiations, the best way is to become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash follow the woo, and when you sign up, you'll get an official Order of Woo invitation sent to your home and access to a bunch of other witchy goodies. This is still mostly a secret, but we are working on a video extension of this podcast, so the best way to follow along with that and be a part of our witch's order, the Order of Woo, is to join Patreon. And of course, thank you so much to the patrons who have been there from the beginning. You have no idea how incredibly helpful your support has been. Anyway, let's talk about my guest this week. His name is Jock Brokus, and he's an evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author. He essentially grew up in and around a monastery in Scotland, where he's from, and then he made the next logical step, which was to join the army for like five years. I know, it didn't seem to make sense to me at the time either, but his life path seemed to fling him all over the place 
until he finally found his true calling. Jock also is one of those people you call when you've called everyone else about that tricky, inhuman entity that's hell-bent on chillin' in your house. He doesn't love to use the word demon, but he certainly had a high amount of interaction with malevolent intelligence and what some would perceive as exorcisms. Although, he doesn't love that word either. And I totally understand and agree with him. Both of those words are absolutely overused in the paranormal realm. Jock and I talk about lots and lots of things, including the many projects he's working on, growing up in a monastery and preparing for priesthood, his mystical experiences with a psychic in northern Scotland, demons, exorcisms, the definition of evil, and how to learn from duality, the idea of free will, Ouija boards, levitation, Aleister Crowley. It's a super juicy chat, so you know what to do. You know what's coming. Just hold on to your butt cheeks and let's get into the wow. I checked out a lot of things. I checked yeah. out Paranormal Daily News, yeah. your Facebook group, checked out your books. Also, your podcast, Deadly Departed. Yes. It's sort of the same message and the same, you're trying to brand it all the same, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot more than that as well. I mean, I'm president of a, a non-profit which is involved in research and parapsychology and paranormal research and afterlife research and standards of mediums and mediumship and, you know, making seeing the difference between what real mediumship is and not, you know, what people think it is. And so, yeah, I'm involved in a lot of stuff and I'm de developing... Obviously, we've got the Parawise Conference, but I'm developing a new magazine, which is going to be called Parawise, and it's going to be the sister to PDN, but it's mainly going to be around education and parapsychology and that kind of stuff, you know, so bringing more of a layman's perspective to certain academia within the field. That's great. And I feel like I saw that you're doing a course, you're developing an online course or did you I, already <laughs> yes i am i have been nagged for so long about teaching mediums and teaching other people a bit more about this kind of negative aspect or the dangers of the afterlife so i finally gave in and have been developing a six-month training course which is not like the woo-woo side of everything. It's, it's, like, mm -hmm. it's kind of more involved in science and having to have evidence and understanding history and understanding psychology and understanding a lot more of the mechanics of the afterlife and going through case histories from the past and everything. So it's fairly in-depth and I, I don't think it's for the, the just the average person that just wants to kind of develop their psychic skills. But certainly if it's someone wants to take them understanding the dangers and how to develop probably a bit better and you know learning more about the history of things and 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 blending the science aspect of it as well then i think it's it's, it's for that person is one of the central goals of that course to teach people how to protect themselves from negative entities or energies to protect themselves and to learn discernment because more, like I said to you last time we spoke, most people haunt themselves. Mm -hmm. I actually have that in quotes uh, on my notes. Yeah, they haunt themselves and they're forever haunting themselves. And it, it doesn't bear any fruit. There is 
there's no evidence. There's no scientific evidence. There's nothing I would rather, like, I've got a case at the moment. I'm like, everything you're telling me is fantastic. It's great for a movie, but there is no evidence, right? And the very fact that, you know, you won't put cameras up or you won't try and get more evidence, it's, you're, it's hearsay. You're just, no matter what you tell me, and no matter how many psychics you talk to or how many so-called mediums you talk to, there is no evidence. If you cannot give me evidence, it's just a story. But everything is a paranormal phenomena. Mm-hmm. And every little squeak <laughs> is a paranormal noise. And when it's you, just not right. When you say you're looking for evidence, what are you what specifically are you looking for when people call you for to help them with what they perceive as a haunting? I can tell very quickly just by talking to someone if there's something real that's there or if there's something not, right? Someone who will say, let's say, so somebody who will say, you know, I, I had I put down my purse or I put down my wallet and then it was gone. And they think that's a paranormal thing. And I'm like, well, you could have dropped it out of your car. You know, let's, let's, let's just, brand it. just because you've had bad dreams and you've maybe watched The Conjuring or you've watched something on TV or you've seen Zach Baggins go through a door and then there's all hell breaks loose, doesn't mean that it's going on in your home, Right. You have to be very scientific about everything. Like I've seen people that say they're mediums that stand beside pendulums and the pendulums are swinging and then they'll all of a sudden say, my God, it's my energy. It's because I'm so open today and everything else. I don't realize there's a bus that's just gone past or there's a train that's gone past or the vibrate. So I'm looking for everything that's scientific, scientifically based. You witness phenomena that has no way of explaining that from any natural occurrence, right? So if you see a door open or something according to stimulus or stimuli, even if you're you're asking it to open the door and the handle goes like this and opens the door and there's nothing there, then there's something going on, right? You know, if if um, you see the table, you know, literally dance across the room or move of its own volition or respond to human stimuli, you know, asking question or, you know, um, um, responses, not interrogating or trying to get that kind of thing. But you see something that is out with the norms of science, then it warrants further investigation. If you see things like, you know, images or something, you know, sometimes people will get dermography, you know, they'll get writing on their chest, their back, their arms, you see bites and things like that. So I'm looking for real phenomena, not pareidolia either. I'm a big, I I hate things like that where people look at things and they say, my God, you know, look at, look at the water, there's a spirit in it. And you're like, it's a freaking wave, you know, there's nothing there. (laughs) I, I'm very grounded when it comes to that side of things. And I will never maintain that anybody's place is haunted unless I start to get real evidence. And even as me as going in as a medium, going into somewhere, I would expect to gain enough evidence that it could be researched and found and and validated in what I like to call the pyramid of evidence. I'm looking for a validation on a pyramid on three different levels and then connecting the sides of the pyramids as well. So I won't just say I've got a name called Jimmy or something, you know, because that just could be anybody, you know. So I'd be looking at trying to tie the whole story and putting the jigsaw puzzle together, putting everything together and being aware of how people's minds psychologically can can conjure things in their own their own belief or what they see. 
I believe we need a lot more science and spirit, and we need a lot more spirit and science. We tend to have two big divisions. And so I, I like to say to scientists is that you can't say that there is no real phenomena there just because it doesn't fit within the construct of your materialistic framework or that your mind, because there is so much we don't know. There's so much that we can't. You've got the observer effect as well, which changes things. So could there be an instance of paranormal phenomena being like the observer effect where on the other side, if it's an intelligence that's controlling that, is it the fact that that's beyond our comprehension, that that, that intelligence is so so intelligent that when we look at it, it's like the observer effect. It just doesn't, it's not the same. So there's so many different things that kind of go against the paranormal, but also go against the science because science won't open their minds to things. I think it's very important for mediums or spiritual people, people developing to have a good foundation and respect for science and for that community and to try and understand things more feasibly and realistically than trying to label everything as paranormal, label everything as phenomena. There's a great thing that I always say to people, they say, oh, I, I saw a butterfly come near me. Is that my spirit guide? Or that means, well, that means a butterfly came near you. But where it may be different is, let's say that the situation is completely different. So for instance, once I, I gave a sitting to a woman, and I said, you know, that you had been given a sign by spirit because you had seen a dragonfly. Now, anybody could say they see a dragonfly with their outside, but the dragonfly was found in the room where the coffin was with all the windows and doors and everything closed. Then you would think, okay, so that's possibly been a spirit intervention in some way. But had they have seen, said, you know, a dragonfly came near you when you were out walking the other day, well, so does a thousand other butterflies and dragonflies and God knows what else. So there has to be some kind of relevancy to it. There has to be some kind of connection to the story. And very often there's not, because people also want to believe anything. And people that are developing mediums, mediumship, they need to believe everything. They need to think that everything is some kind of spiritual incidence or has a spiritual connection because one that kind of feeds their ego, but also it's, it's allowing them into a false sense of security as well. When we think everything in the garden's rosy, I probably tend to piss a lot of people off because I'm, I normally say, no, 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 no. And then there'll be a point where I'll go, ah, okay, then it's time to look at this further. Well, I want to come back to this and talk about, the calls that you make and how you do your work with people. Yeah. I think it'll be best for the listeners to just start with your background a little bit because mm. you have a unique upbringing. You tell me about the monks and the nuns and, and all of that, that, that start and how you got to this point. You know, when I was young, I always had a spiritual disposition. My earliest memory of praying was when I was actually in a pub, probably about three years old as a young kid where my uncles and things had heard there and my uncle Tom had come from the monastery and had put me up and I was learning to say my rosary, saying my prayers and things like that. Now, it's a bit unusual because my dad is not religious. My dad's passed now, but he was a Masonic or Protestant, whatever it is you want to. And my mother was Catholic and my granny was a convert. 
So I kind of had a bit of a Heinz 57 variety of everything. My uncle, Tom, who I was very close to, which name is Brother Magella, he was a monk in the Redemptorist Order. And ever since I was young, from the very first moment that I stepped into the monastery and everything that was there, I, I wanted to devote my life to God. I wanted to devote my life in service, and I wanted to be a priest. I went through that whole direction right up until high school, into high school, and even beyond. And even when I came out, it was that was my one main thing. But it was difficult for me because my disposition was very spiritual. My outlook was very spiritual. I would go and live in the monastery with the monks and the priests, and I would, I would feed the poor, and I would feed prisoners that came, and even from a young age. So I was kind of it steeped into that side of things. But I questioned the religious aspect of it because what I was feeling was not the same as what I was being taught. So that made me question things even deeper. And then when I asked questions of the priests and the nuns and they would say, well, that's just the way it is, I would be like, well, no, that's not good enough. Like that's, You can't tell me that's just the way it is and then just expect me to just pass it and accept it and that that's the way black and white. So I was a bit annoying to them because I would like, I keep asking questions and I'd want to know more. And if they didn't have the answers, then I'd want to find it out. And so while people were reading comics, you know, young kids were reading comics, I was reading books like The Vacation to the Priesthood. And I was reading about St. Teresa of Avila and paranormal things and stuff like that. Things I didn't really and didn't really understand. I'd be interested in, you know, why do people study witchcraft and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and then we would get reprimanded and told off and that kind of thing. So I was always indoctrinated in it. But I remember meeting my my first time I ever came across the, the priest that had dealt with exorcisms and stuff like that. His name was Father McGuinness. He told us about these stories, and of course, it frightened the living daylights of some of the other young boys and that that were there that wanted to be priests, and it would worry them. And but to me, it was fascinating. So I would sit and kind of soak it up, and then that would make me want to learn more and make me want to know more and stuff like that, you know. And then I would always get warned off. And the very first time I saw a spirit was in the monastery. I didn't know it was a spirit in the monastery. You imagine an old Scottish type castle-looking building. So I couldn't stay with all the priests and stuff like that that were down there. So when I went to visit and stay with them, I was put up in the attic. Like this was, and this was a freaking scary place, right? <laughs> it was like everything creaked, everything was scary, and I, you would go to bed with like prayer cards and God knows everything because you just find. And I would look at these pictures of these saints and things in the wall and say, "Man, that that guy Alphonsus looks freaking evil." You know, he's staring at me like he wants to take me over. <laughs> You know, it was terrifying. So <laughs> I remember coming out one night and I looked down the, the hallway and I see this monk, this kind of, you know, brother in, in garb and, and go straight across and what seemed to go through a door, but in actual fact, the door was further up. So I waved and I'm like, hello, father, you know, how are you doing? You know, hello, brother, whatever it was. And nothing, it just smiled and just kind of went on. And, and that was it. And that was my kind of first apparition that I had saw because I had I'd gone down the next day and I brought that up. And then I was given the whole lecture about not to dabble with these things and you don't know where it was from. And I'm like, yeah, this is a holy place and stuff like that, you know. And then they, they took out and showed me a picture. And this was an old monk from way back in the days way back in like the 17th century when they first taken that building over. 
And I still couldn't understand or get that into my mind. To give you an understanding, you know, you, when you hear so many mediums or psychics say, you know, I've always been psychic since I was a kid. I've always been, you know, I've always been spiritual, but I couldn't label anything psychic or medium or anything like that because you're steeped in religion. So anything to me that was beyond that religious aspect, I was being taught fire and brimstone. This is dangerous. This is stuff you don't deal with. And that was kind of my first real sense of seeing something out of the norm, the otherworldly. And because I got lectured, then I was even more interested in stuff like that, you know? <laughs> and then ever, and I didn't realize until later in life that everything else that I got involved with always seemed to have a pattern to it. Like I, I met people that were dealing with, that were dabbling with Ouija boards when they were younger. And I would, I would go nuts without really understanding anything. So I always had that pattern before. It just stayed with me forever. And so I've always had that kind of spiritual outlook, but would never be able to say I'm a psychic or I'm a medium because I couldn't label anything. And so when people say, well, you like that when you were a kid, yeah, I was spiritual when I was a kid, but I couldn't label anything. I didn't know what it was. But now you identify as an evidential medium, among other things. Yeah. Could you explain to the listeners what an evidential medium is? An evidential medium is a medium that is able to give you unequivocal evidence of the afterlife or evidence that will stand up against scientific scrutiny, not generalized information. It would be evidence that could really stand up, that might even be you're given so many no's and the whole pattern has to then emerge later on and be confirmed as something real. An evidential medium will also be able to distinguish the information between a psychic vibration and a spiritual, a spirit vibration as well. So the, the information that is tangible, that it can be readily identified. So for instance, you'll maybe see, you've seen some of the mediums maybe on TV or you've seen them in maybe when they've been on platform and spiritualist churches and they'll say, I've got a, a gentleman who's a bit so high and he's rotund of the build and all this kind of stuff. And he's, he's really happy and joyful and you're being going through a bad time in your life and and I'm picking up an M name and all that kind of stuff. But that's whilst a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, go oh my God, yeah, I lost my grandfather and he was like that and they make it fit. So a difference of, of an evidential medium would be something like I got a gentleman coming through and he's coming to me with the name such and such. And I'm also getting the street address or this address that's coming with it. He was with you the other day. You know, he was around you the other day when you did X, Y, and Z. And also, and then give further information and build upon that information, build that pyramid of evidence to say, you know, other things you're going to have to go and, and, and double check and, you know, stuff like that. So when recently when I've been coaching one of my students, she was given evidence she couldn't verify and that had to be verified later on, which actually happened two weeks down the road. So then we've got an element of precognition there. And a lot of people will say, well, in scientific worlds, is that something that you're reading just from energy or anything else? But yes and no, because the, the intelligence that you're getting from a spiritual connection will have a lot more validation and will have a lot more of the pattern of the story with it. So an evidential medium is able to give more accurate, tangible evidence of the continuation of consciousness on the other side of life. How did you get from having this time in the monastery and reading the all these texts and playing around with the Ouija boards and learning from the monks and asking all the questions? How did you go from that to then becoming an evidential medium? When and how did that happen? 
I never really happened straight away like that because I then joined the army because I got I was supposed to be going in to take orders to actually go and actually join the monastery and and go through the you know I was in a junior seminary at the time and preparing to get into the priesthood, but my uncle passed. I was so close that it, it affected me a little bit, and so they didn't think that it was the right time for me to be giving up my life and to be going into serious orders to move forward to uh, ordination and the, the final and studies. I was then told to go and take some time out. Well, I kind of really just got pissed off at that because they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. So I went and joined the army instead. Uh, the army? That's like the exact <laughs> opposite. I was like, yeah, and, and everybody laughed at that, you know. I didn't even tell my mum or dad or anything. You know, I went quietly to the offices you know, expressed my interest. I took the the tests. I scored really high. I was didn't tell mum and dad. I I was sworn in and said, you know, we'll have a place for you at some point in the future. And then I got the phone call when I went home. We got the phone call Wednesday night, the day that I came out. They said you're leaving on Saturday, and that's when I broke it down. I, I broke the news to my mother and father. And they, they thought it was a joke. They didn't believe it. And so then all the tears and by by Saturday, I was gone. I was away in the army. And how long were you in the army? I was in the army for five years. Wow. Just just under five years. And then I came out and I did other things. Were you deployed at any point? I was in the medical corps. And so we dealt with things from Ireland. I never went to like war zones and stuff like that. But we had dealt with a lot of Northern Ireland and... When we had the big the ambulance strikes and things, and you know we get deployed on them because we were paramedics and we had to take over, you know, doing the ambulance stuff and things like that. So I had my time in the army, you know, doing all that and going on training and just all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, I came out and I continued in that vein in another organization. And doing, and then end up in close protection work and high level security and working as a bodyguard and stuff like that. This is the exact opposite in my mind of the nonviolent monastery. I mean, how did you just switch gears like that and go? No, because listen, I always had, I still always had a spiritual disposition because I remember, you know, before we went out, before we kind of got deployed when the ambulances never went on strike, I, I was on duty the night that the IRA bombed one of the airports in the UK and stuff like that. So it didn't matter what I did or what I was involved in, whether it was close protection. I did a stint with, with the protection unit, the, the, the police as well. And I still always had a spiritual outlook because, you know, we'd have chaplains. So we would have chaplains that would come and speak to us and they, and they would say you know this chaplain's coming and if anybody wants to go and speak to them and I would go and be the only one there at one point and so I still had questions I still had a spiritual disposition I still prayed and I still kept that connection even though I was in the army so you went into the army for five years. You started doing some high-level security, yeah. got into some different organizations that yeah. were sort of related. Yeah. And then then where does the evidential medium come in? Where do, where do, <laughs> when do you become you know interested in the paranormal? And it sounds like you move away from some of the more staunch religiosity of your childhood and you kind of make your own spiritual yeah. belief system. How did that happen? 
So when I came out and and you know I was having the normal civilian life, no one just comes out and says, "That's it. I'm going to be a spiritual person or a, a guru or I'm going to get into this." But you're always searching for something. Like I was married before; it didn't work out. We separated. So because I had a very deep spiritual upbringing myself and had a spiritual direction, if you like, this is how it kind of starts. This is how it kind of started, and it's a bit weird. I always had the spiritual knowledge, and I, I was always interested. In, so I was always trying to find myself. It never really happened till I was. I was a bouncer in the nightclubs. I was a bouncer on the door. I was working with this with this girl called Alice in England, who was, uh, you know, she was studying to be a, a solicitor in the UK, you know. And she says, "I'm going to go and see this this psychic," and I'm like, "I ain't going to see one of them for that's just a load of rubbish, you know. That's just they just tell you anything, you know." And I was kind of then the whole military. You know, that kind of thing was coming out of me at the time. And um, she says, will you go with me? And it was like a Saturday. And I says, you know, I'll drive you if you want. She says, that's fine. So I said, I'm not interested in it. I'll drive you up. I'll drop you off. I'll wait on you. Go in and do what you're going to do. And then come out and we'll, you know, we'll go away and we'll get a bit of lunch. And then we'll, we'll head back because we were both going to be working on the door that night. I took it up. And it, honestly, it was like something out of freaking Hansel and Gretel in the north of Scotland, right? went up there's, there's this woman called Rachel France and she lived in this little cottage past the graveyard set back in the trees in the hills of northern Scotland and so as you're driving up there you're like this this is kind of spooky stuff this I'm, I'm starting to get uncomfortable about everything you know <laughs> this is wait a minute this is like you're going to walk into a sect or something you know so I dropped Alison off, Alison, and she went in and she, she, did a, she had a reading and stuff like that, you know. She came out and she said, you know, you come in, you're, you're kind of next. And I was, nah, I'm not doing that. That's, I'm not doing this crap. Just let's come on. She's, no, come on. And she took me in and she sat me down. She was a normal, normal old woman. She was lovely, actually, you know. She said things that I was like, how in God's name did she know that? She knew about some of undercover stuff that I had done. She had known oh, things that you just don't, that none of my parents would have known. She said, you know, I've got your father here who'd passed and he, she gave me his name exactly. She was really, she was that good. And then she, she produced to start telling me stuff that I just was blown away with. And then she says, you know, you've had the gift ever since you were a child. And I'm like, a gift? I mean, I had a gift, you know, you've, you've been able to do this. And I didn't really take it on board and we kind of left and I said, oh, I want to come back and, and talk to you. You know, maybe I'll come back and talk to you. And I, I, I just couldn't equate everything that had just happened. I came out and Alice says, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I look white, you know, look, what the hell has this woman just done? <laughs> I went back to see her and she took me in and she said, I got chatting and we were talking and she sat down and she said, I want you, I want you to do something. And she, she made me go into like a meditative kind of state and she took an old ring out of a box. She gave me a ring, she said, hold it in your left hand. And she guided me through like reading it in energy. And before I knew it, I was starting to make a connection and I was starting to pick up images that was picking up and it was very accurate stuff like that. So she told me, you know, she also told me that my, my father was going to, they know my father, that somebody was going to appear to me 
so long down the line to the day that she said, my father actually appeared to me in my apartment, never said nothing, just in a full-blown apparition, like I'm looking at you, and smiled, and then just disappeared. And so that whole catalyst, it felt like something awakened inside of me. And it felt like, my God, the round ball goes in the round hole. And the square goes in the square hole. And the star goes in the star hole. It just felt like everything came in place. In place, it felt like that connection was there. And as that then happened, I then joined the spiritualist church. And that's another story because I had, after I had seen my father, I went down and it seemed like they were kind of waiting on me. And that was kind of scary as well because I'd gone into the, the spiritual church and they had a medium demonstration that was going on and she picked, she picked on me and she was highly accurate where she was telling me there was no way anybody could have known this. So then I started my journey. I kind of started looking at energy healing and the history of things like that. And, you know, I started kind of studying, you know, what was Reiki and what were all these modalities and the history of mediumship. And I, I, I started just, but my head just went into studies. And I remember one day somebody telling me about some crystals to get. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and see if I can I'm going to get these crystals. And I went to this little old crystal shop in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. In this little bowl was this card that said, Joanne Sarah Pugsley, who teaches psychic development and has got a psychic development course running. I thought to myself, all right, let's let's have a look at that. Let's have a let's have a go. And I contacted this woman, not knowing who she was, and tried to wing my way in and have a meeting and to check her out because I was still very suspicious of whether this was real or not. I actually went on her course, and that was the woman I married. And she saw the 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 day that we were going on the course. She said, she looked at me and she said, you know, you're a natural medium, so just don't be giving out any information. Now, bearing in mind, I had already met this, this woman who had helped me along the road. I'd also been in the spiritual church. I'd met another woman called Mary Skinner. I had met Helen Gordon that had taken me under her wing and used to take me out into castles and things like that and learn to read them. I then went to see if I could, you know, do this, this went on this course and it was, it was Joanne and, and she literally took me as a bit of coal and out of that bit of coal molded me into a diamond. And she, she taught me everything I knew about mediumship and, and developing. And she was a professional medium. She came from Swansea and Wales and she, she'd served in a church, she ran her own church. And, and that's kind of where it had, that's kind of where everything then went on. And all these pieces start to fall together. And we demonstrated in theatres and churches and we ran our own church and we would serve in our own. We got married in the spiritualist church. And it just felt that everything that I had done in the past was leading to this moment. All the other stuff just happened. You know, people would start to connect to me because they were having problems that they'd been with Ouija boards or they were having problems with different things. And, and no matter how many times I tried to get away from that side of things, it always landed on my doorstep, always landed on my feet. I always had to deal with it. I was the person, it was my name that was put forward for some reason. So eventually you come to the point, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. 
I think you said something like this, that you're sort of the last call when it comes to weird hauntings. It's like yeah. when when the yeah. other people didn't work out, yeah. they call you. Tell me about those calls and how how do you even manage those? You know, does some how do they get a hold of you? How does the whole process work? <laughs> how does somebody get a hold of me? Well, I mean, now obviously I'm known for what I do and I have a website and things, but I have another website that, that is predominantly on that side of things anyway that I don't promote. I don't put it there and people find it if they need it. I've always had the belief if you're really under that spiritual subjugation, that problem, then a higher power is going to, you know, going to guide you to the right person. And everybody's kind of found me because they've been guided by the other side or it's just, it's happened in that way or someone's heard about me or they've, the, the name has come up or, you know, in, in some way, shape or form, you know, I never asked for it. I never wanted it. It, it. it was just, it was almost like that's your destiny. And no matter how much you thwart it, no matter how much you fight it, there's, it's always going to land on your doorstep. So you may as well just accept it. No matter how much I did, it would always, it would always come, you know, even, even from the spiritualist church back, back in, in, in Swansea and stuff, you know, they, they would they would contact myself or Joanne or they would contact us and, and say, you know, there's this, we don't deal with that kind of thing. You know, I've had that before where a spirit of said, we don't deal with that, but you do. Well, you have a look into this problem for us. I don't know if you ever heard of a guy called Hilly Rose. He's passed now, but he was on like Fate Radio many, many, many years ago. I was a guest on his show a number of times about demonology and I never, ever, I never use the term that I'm a demonologist. I prefer to use spirit interventionist because it has a whole, it's like psychic and medium. There's a whole kind of negative thing about it, you know. It's a term that we shouldn't use anyway because demonology is a study of history. It's a study of, I don't know, a belief or a perception or an historical account of certain things. So people would come across me by actually hearing me talk about it or giving a talk or other mediums would come to me if they had issues that they couldn't deal with or it would find its way to me. I can I cannot give you a full answer how it happened. I just know what happened. People would say, I, I, I found you, you know, one woman, she found me by default, you know, her computer was off and all of a sudden it came on and it, had, it went up to something I was on. She just didn't ignore it and she contacted me, you know, your name came up or someone mentioned you and that's it. That's, you know, I, I don't have any Facebook ads running for it. I don't have any Google ads, <laughs> <laughs> so, anything like that. They just find me and, and I'll help. If I can help, I'll help. What's the most intense exorcism experience that you've ever been involved in? Let's take away the term exorcism because again, that's a whole negative, a whole negative thing, and and it's really predominantly for the Catholic faith. But we have parts of exorcism that's involved in all religious belief systems. They just have it maybe call it something different. The cases that I was involved in many many years ago was. When a young boy was, they had been dabbling with Ouija boards and the, the young boy was in his teenage years and he was actually getting bitten and scratched during the night. It's normally stupidity. There's always got to be an invitation, right? So it don't just happen. You just walk into a place and all of a sudden it happens. That is always an invitation. So people normally dabble and they don't know what they're doing. And, and sometimes they tell you, Porcupines, you know, they, they, they say, no, I've never dealt with a Ouija board. And then you find it, you do. So I think 
all cases are have their own merits. And I think one that I that one there was another one I was involved in where the husband who was skeptical was held by his throat and thrown against the wall. And and you got to remember that the only thing that can deal with these things is even the ritualism of exorcism from the Catholic Church, you know, when they when they do the ritual Romanum, it is purely prayer. It is prayer and it's 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 having the power of prayer that deals with anything. And you have to realize that if you're going to deal with these things, now I wouldn't say to anybody, I'm going to do an exorcism because I'm not a Catholic priest. Okay. So I will I have my certain things that I will do to help, and it's all about divinity and the power of prayer and everything else. But I know there have been cases that I've involved in where, where I have actually become a target because I've been involved in it. And I've had experiences where I have woken to being shaken or I've had voices outside of me. And I've, you know, I, at one point I was in a, in a, a an area in, in America and I couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden I had this figure that would appear and I could hear my name being called objectively outside of me and the putrid smell that I was smelling. I was wide awake. I was very, I was not in any somnambulistic state or anything else. I could hear dog growling outside of me. So I could experience these auditory things in a sub an objective rather than a subjective way. And so I know that anything that I deal with makes me a target as well. So I have to be spiritually on my guard all the time. That I know they're haunting themselves and the phenomena that they're seeing are not real. But I know for a fact, and it's a bit of a weird thing because if I'm if I'm going to get involved in a case that's really dodgy, like um, there was a, another one I was involved in and it was a family had taken over a home. They, he had just turned Christian. But what we didn't realize is that mum and dad were, in, were involved in a satanic cult. And when they passed and he moved into the, and he took over the family home where they were living, they were holding black masses below. He turned Christian because of his, his, his wife. Things just started to happen. And the phenomena that was experienced was crazy and, and, and terrifying. It'd be great if I could turn and say, yeah, and I go up there with a Bible and a prayer and I give it all the Yahoo and everything else. It's not like that. It's purely prayer. Don't do any exorcisms like you would see in the Catholic Church where they're laying their hands on and, and giving all the, the the stuff that you see in the movies. Because the only way that you can really deal with a malevolent intelligence is purely in divine power and divine prayer. And all I am is a an anchor, if you like, that allows that divine power to operate in the way it should operate. So I, I am not the power behind anything. And so all cases have their own merit, but the two cases that stick out would be them and, and the young kid. Or one case we had, in, and actually, no, one case we had in Scotland, uh, there was some witchcraft and stuff that was going on there, and we did witness some phenomena. You know, my wife and I went out, and she was very brave and pushed me in first and says, you go in there first just in case anything happens. And the drawers would come flying open and, and stuff like that, you know. And that's not demoniacal or anything. That's that's grounded spirits and things like that. Because if you're dealing with something that's purely malevolent and, and, and demonic, it's so highly intelligent beyond your means. You ain't gonna it ain't gonna be like the movies. And it's and your battlefield's gonna be the mind. 
It's not going to be where you're going to walk in and see like crucifixes melting and rosaries being ripped apart and stuff like that. You know, it's it, there's a great deal of intelligence behind it. Okay, so we're talking about demons. We're talking about malevolent yeah. intelligence. We're talking which I about, prefer. It begs the question: What is evil? You know, and what what's your perspective on what is evil? Because a malevolent intelligence. That means that there's evil energy. And what, mm-hmm. so what's your understanding of what is evil? Evil is in opposition to all that is light, that is positive, that is divine. Now, whether you believe in the Bible, whether you believe in the Great Fall, whether you believe in it's a split of consciousness, it doesn't. And whether you believe, I, I have a saying, I say to people, you know, whether you believe in demons or not, it doesn't matter. Their existence is not born out of the need for you to believe in them. Just because you might not believe in them doesn't mean they don't exist. There's enough evidence and information and intelligence that shows that there are malevolent forces at work. And that malevolent force is intelligent, is beyond any humanistic comprehension or science, and that is ancient and is all before your time. So I don't care if you don't believe in them or you think that it doesn't exist because their existence is not a requisite of your belief. Do you have a theory based off of your experiences about why there is evil? Because I think that's a question that just keeps coming up from people that I've been talking to. Yeah, I can actually simplify it. If there wasn't any evil, what would you learn? Contrast. Got it. This whole planet, this whole existence that we are in is a dual existence. We only know pain because we know health. We only know light because we know what dark is. Now, imagine if there was no duality and it was just oneness and there was no darkness. There'd be no contrast to it. Evil, unfortunately, is something we need because it is a great teacher as well as a great destroyer. Do you think that there is duality all yeah. throughout the universe? Yeah, I, 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 I believe there's evil aliens and I believe there's good ones because right. there's, so, there's so much evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Because again, how would we know the difference? How, how would we learn anything if there wasn't any duality? How would we progress if we didn't know what was weak within us to progress? We have to get into uncomfortable situations to learn that we can circumnavigate that or it can awaken a deeper power within us or we can learn to overcome something that teaches us something. You remember the case of Annalise Michelle that was Emily Rose movie and stuff like that. Everybody thinks, you know, we, we, we can have the whole argument that everything was a scientific, you know, and she had, she had a, a mental imbalance and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, maybe the priest made the wrong call and everything else. But look what happened. It taught great lessons. And everything that is negative, there is great lessons to be learned. Like if the pandemic hadn't happened. Mm-hmm there would have been no lessons to learn. Yes, it's evil and everything else, but there has been a lot of good that has come out of the pandemic. People have realized that life is so short and they start to live it differently. Relationships get closer. 
and there's a lot of evil in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Again, we're living in a world of duality, contrast. And it's a lot, it's karma. Karma is duality. You think of karma like a wave. So if a wave goes up, then also there has to be space below that. The wave has to go down because you can't have the both waves go up. That means there's no duality. We learn based on that. So I think it's the same. In, I, think, I think it would be the same in any intelligence over there. And if we look back to some of the cases from, I'm, I'm not a UFO expert, but I've spoken to a lot of people. You know, Nick Pope endorsed one of my first books that I ever wrote. And I've got great respect for people that, that study that. There's a great deal of overlap into PSI. And they even have contrasts of good and bad. I think if you investigate the mysticism of nearly probably all religions, there is this concept of the, I call it the primordial ooze just as a joke, but sort of like pre-manifestation to form. And that sort of initial, we're talking like original, original, initial initial desire to experience oneself. Mm -hmm. And that becomes then the universe and all of the manifestations in the universe. And like you said, that initial desire has to have duality. So it, it, I think it makes sense, but it, it can be a real mind fuck. Oh, God, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Because it's almost like I heard, you know, I, I, I still listen to a lot of talks and, and lectures and things like that. And I listen to a lot of scientists and I listen to a lot of spiritual teachers. And there's a great there's a great kind of perception, not a belief, um, but a perception that we're living in someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. But someone else's dream is is obviously a dream of exper- it's experiential. And it has an element of duality because that duality has brought us into our own duality as well. We're not meant to know the answers to everything because if we knew the answers to everything, there would be nothing to strive with, to make us strive forward, to keep progressing and learning. Mm-hmm. So whilst we can get really freaking uptight about not knowing the answers, sometimes it's good because it makes us, it makes us fight on to keep developing and learning more. And we're never going to get the answers to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such an investigator that I want to know well, no. everything. Yeah. But but I know that you're right, especially in the land of woo. There's more questions more often than that than there are answers. Actually, I think sometimes, even if there is an answer, it's not appropriately, it's not appropriate for your evolutionary development for you to know that answer at this time. Absolutely. It yeah. could totally freak you out, right? I mean, or it can even worse than that, it could cause psychosis and on varying degrees so i saw a question earlier in a a little group where they said if you knew knew the time and date of your death how would it make which is exactly what we're personifying here so how and i'm like i wouldn't want to know why because it would cause great mental anguish and stress it would cause us to perhaps make decisions based on that which means that we don't learn anything which means that we cause we cause then psychosis. We start to you know open ourselves up to things that we shouldn't. And so, just imagine that if you knew I'm going to die there and at that point in time, your life wouldn't be worth living. So, when we're working with malevolent intelligence, it's right in the term itself, intelligence. You're talking. Yeah. You're saying these are old entities, mm-hmm. and. 
I want to flip that. What about on the on the positive side of that polarity? Have you experienced what some would call angels or sort of the the good guys, let's say, yeah. it, for lack of a better term? Well, let me give you a, let me give you a great example how I think was angelic intervention. So I had a near-death experience in a car accident we have. I'm not going to go into that whole idea because I'm very skeptical in near-death experiences, even though I'm a medium, because I think we can just sit in a chair and have a near-death experience by what we create in our mind, right? Mm. Unless someone has really high-level validatory evidence of what they've experienced, like some other experiences that have come back and validated evidence, then we're going to sit and look at it. But... There was a, a time in North Scotland when Joe and I were traveling and we had a brand new car, right? And everything was fine. It was only a few days old. We decided to stop. Joe was like, you know, my wife loves to go to coffee shops and have lunches and stuff. And so we stopped. And as we were in this place, there was this garden center and we came out, she went in and she was like, oh, I don't like this. This is not really, it's not really nice. You know, there's, there's something about this. We're not, we're not really going to go out. So we went back to the car. We never had anything to eat. And I tried to open the car door and it wouldn't open. And I tried and it wouldn't open. And then it opened. And I sat in the car and it wouldn't start. And I couldn't get it to start. And all of a sudden it started. And Joe and I drove out the garden center and we were driving down the road. And this car overtakes a massive line of traffic. And it's heading straight for us. And I could only evade by a matter of a second or even less to just to get over to the verge. And it just missed us by a fraction. Now, I believe there was an intervention that day because we never had a problem with that car since. Never. But if that car had started or we had got into that car earlier and it started and gave us that five seconds difference, we would have been dead because that was a full head-on collision. So do I believe that there was a, a, a benign intelligence looking after us, whether it be an angel or something? Absolutely. That was an intervention because we would have been, we would have been dead. Speaking of that, do you think that angelic entities or we'll just call them that for now, but mm. we know we know that's much more broad it means all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you think that they can be in physical form, in bot in human bodies specifically? And same for demons as well, or malevolent intelligence. I believe they can inhabit a human form. Remember a very, very important aspect, even about angels and about demons or malevolent intelligence, as we will term them. Everything is bound by divine law. Divine law is perfect in its operation. There is no gray areas. Ergo, the de demoniacal is bound by divine law. Remember, they have only a certain amount of power within this earth. They have only a certain amount of power. They cannot go against divine law even though it's in opposition. Same with an angelic being. And whether you believe in them or have experienced them, I'm more, you know me, I'm more of a scientific mind than anything else. And, and I, I, you know, even looking back in history and all ancient civilizations, we have a pattern of angelic beings and evil beings. And so it's, it's existed since day dot. 
but we always have to remember that they're still governed by divine law. They cannot, like demonic being or an angelic being just doesn't, you know, go willy-nilly and jump into any person given shape or form. I Well, I know demonic beings or malevolent intelligences can inhabit a human form, but do they actually take the inside of the body and live inside of the body? It's more of an energetic, it's a mind that's taking the mind because the mind is then connected to the human form and, you know, it's controlled then. And at the same time too, I think, you know, Angelic beings can do the same thing, maybe not in the same way as, as, as a demoniacal being would be because there's a pattern to it or there's a will that, that, that it's, it's trying to force upon you. But it's only, it's restricted. Even mm-hmm. demons are restricted. Angels are restricted. An angel cannot interfere in your life or your life lessons because it goes against divine law. We all understand free will. But what if I said to you that free will is also restricted? Okay. Right. Let's so let's go, let's go there. <laughs> because So free will is restricted. Why? Because there are certain things that you are governed to do, right? Certain things that you're supposed to do in life in order to develop or achieve certain things. So if it's not within your time to go and someone's free will has t- taken that choice, then an intervention can happen to make mm-hmm. sure that that doesn't happen. People think we've got free will, we can do anything. No, we have restricted free will. We do not have free will that everybody thinks because there are certain things that we've agreed to do. There are certain divine laws that we cannot go against. And if it was free will to do anything would mean that we could actually go against divine law, which is going against nature and going against the entire way that the universe is formed through its intelligent chaos, right? People who are more spiritually adept will have less free will because they have a mission to carry out. And that mission has to, because that is what is predestined. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain element of predestination that will go against that free will. So if you ever wonder, like, I can make that choice but I'm always going to end up over there because that's where I'm supposed to be. It don't matter how many choices. You know, the Buddhists say you can choose 84,000 doors, but you can go through any one of them is going to lead to the same path. Right. So you've got free will to choose, but you're still going to lead on the same path. Mm-hmm. So free will has a, has a level of restriction. Yeah, I think in, in my upbringing, I was taught, and for the listeners, this might be a different way to think about it, but it's the same concept. That yeah. Prior to this specific life, I think of it as like certain contracts that you've made. Yeah. 99% of your life, it's negotiable. You can you can fuck yeah. around. Yeah. But there are these important points that you've decided prior to this manifestation. You got to get, you got to hit them. You got to mm-hmm. hit them. And so I think that's when I talk with people about destiny and fate. It can get so convoluted because... Yeah. People get really freaked out if they're like, if you tell them, oh, well, there, there's some kind of destiny for you, or there's a hundred percent faith. But I, I kind of like it when you, when you pull back and you look at this, 
it's a little bit comforting, right? I think because it's like, okay, well, yeah, I do have this free will, but I wouldn't want a hundred percent free will because then I wouldn't know what the fuck I was supposed to do. You know? (laughs) And you you don't know if you're a hundred, if you're a hundred percent free will, when you could totally fuck up your life anyway and others. And remember then that you, you could, you could be the catalyst to destroying other lives, or you could be, you know, you could be a, a massive thing. So there has to be a restriction to it. God and infinite wisdom don't go right. Go to town. Just mm-hmm. go and do what you want to do. Because in that way, then so would the, the malevolent intelligence of demoniacal beings would have total free will. And they could be like, let, like I'll jump into Johnny and you jump into Mary and then we'll have them kill each other. And we'll, you know, it just gets crazy. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a level of restriction. There has to be a level of predetermined contracts, soul agreements that, you know, that for want of a better expression, that, that you have decided to do. For me, I don't want to go down the whole realm of dealing with people with problems with demons and things that you can't see or malevolent intelligence. I never asked for that. It's not something I never seen it on a film and thought I want to be like that. I'm going to be this Ghostbusters. Let's get a, you know, <laughs> let, let, let's get a hoover and a vacuum and go out and try and shook up the ghosts. Right. So I I decided to do that. And no matter how much I fought anything, it was always going to bring me back to that same path. Mm -hmm. No matter what door I chose, I was always going to go back to that same path. I moved to Los Angeles to make films. And I've been here like three and a half years. And I did. I worked in Hollywood. I live right next to Hollywood. And I I learned so much about the entertainment industry. (laughs) But instead, I made a podcast about the woo. You're right. There's just sometimes there's always a little bit of a a curve. And I think that if you do have a more spiritually inclined background, which I have, then it kind of closes in on what your mission is. You kind of get a little bit more. And and you don't know as well that that no matter how much you were focused on, right, I'm going to be a Hollywood film director and I'm going to I'm going to get involved in this and everything else. And and God in his infinite wisdom looks down at you and says, hey, hang on a little minute, Finn. You don't know enough about this here. And you're not going to be taking Tom Cruise into his next blockbuster, but you could make a bigger impact in the future. So you need to meet these folks and you need to learn from these folks because you're for the spiritual path. And then who knows, in the future, you do something that's completely impactful that is still within Hollywood and anything else, but is not in Mission Impossible. It's like a little bit of a spiritual pivot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Like, it's like you're getting close, but up, just a little to the left. Who knows, your big idea might happen tomorrow and it'll all fall into place. But you have to experience this now in order to find that star in the star in the hole and the square in the square box and you know it's where years I was like you know why doesn't the round one go in the square freaking <laughs> no matter how much you push it so squeeze it in this I'll yeah. fit it in there somehow you know you'll know deep inside of yourself when that all happens so you can't get away from your destiny nobody can I think it's so good that we talked about this because I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet and I know it's something that's been bubbling under the surface so <laughs> This is good because destiny is a is a hot topic. It's a very it confusing topic. So I appreciate that. But I want to go back to benevolent intelligence. Yeah, benevolent, yeah. They can't take up residence in the body, but they can energetically take it over for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Influence, yeah. Have you experienced 
in your work with mediumship, the fae, vampires, anything weird like that, that comes through as either benevolent or malevolent? I've never experienced vampires and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I, I still enjoy a really good movie and I know there's a massive cult following, but I have experienced a lot of the afterlife and, and from the good and the bad. And, and I have on occasion been in group meetings where I've like, I know for a fact this spirit's not a good spirit, right? Mm-hmm. I know from history, I'm, I'm, I'm a president of the Helen Duncan Foundation. Helen Duncan was a great physical medium back in her day. And there was a lot of controversy over Helen Duncan. But Helen Duncan also made the mistake in, in her development where when she was in a seance, she forgot to pray and a, a rabid beast basically ripped around the room and destroyed things. So it happens. And I've experienced, I myself have, I developed trance. I can go into a trance state and I've had, if you like, entities speak through me and stuff like that. And I've witnessed it in other, uh, with, with other people and some of it is, is you know, profound and, and, and some of it's like very woo-woo and you think that's coming from their mind. I mean, they're not even asleep. You know, mm-hmm. all you need to do is prick them with a pin and they'll hit the roof. So I'm a, I'm a big skeptic when it comes down to a lot of stuff like that, but I have witnessed both good and bad in the case of mediumship. And I've also witnessed um, where a medium thinks they're communicating with a benevolent being and is actually communicating with a malevolent being. And that takes a lot of discernment. Discernment's not something you can learn on a course. It's something that you have to develop. I'm still developing it. And it's years and years and years and years and years of continually monitoring your mind and continually developing an outside of things. So, and if you look at a lot of the uh, mediumship texts from back in time past, there's a lot lot of teachers from the other side and spirit beings from the other side will validate that 90% 90 of who mediums are speaking to in this day and and age of a high vibration, so to speak. A malevolent intelligence or a negative spirit can give you just as much information of your loved ones through what you hold just in your knowledge and your auric field than anything else. So mediumship is just not about how good a reading is. Mediumship is not about how accurate an information can be. There's a whole process to the discernment and to making sure that it's high, high level information that comes from pure love, that comes from divinity and that you can be duped very easily. So I've seen both good and bad in mediumship. You mentioned before that there has to be an invitation to bring these yeah. entities in every single time. I've heard of this, of course, before, you know, somebody's messing with a Ouija board or something yeah. like that. Now, if we were to talk about, let's say, paganism or witchcraft, the rituals that happen in those practices, have you seen that some of those can be problematic when they think they're inviting in or invoking something that's benevolent, but they're accidentally inviting Absolutely. in something? My first singing teacher was a Satanist. <laughs> Right. Your first what? So I, I, I'm trained to sing uh, classically, right? And my singing teacher, which I found, see, this is what I mean. It was, it was meant, it was freaking meant to be. I didn't know this until I was right into training with this person, was part of a black mass, was part of a satanic cult, right? Yeah, things went wrong in his life dr- dramatically, drastically because of it. And and so it's, again, I never asked for I never asked for it. You know, it turns out my singing teacher was a Satanist. I didn't know that, you know. 
And I've got a picture of him to this day where it says, you know, Jesus has come and hide. But it's not so much the rituals, it's the person, right? Oh, tell me more about that. It's not the Ouija board, it's the individual, right? If I, I say a lot to people, doesn't matter how many protection prayers you say, you can be in a seance condition, you can be in a mediumship thing, and you can say, yes, but I'm taking the white light, the Holy Spirit down, and I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm visualizing the white light going around me, and I'm protected. Bollocks. Because your vibration tells the real story. Doesn't matter what your ego tells you. Your vibration tells the truth. Yep. And so my development on protecting myself from negative energies is 24-7. Well, I mean, I'm sleeping a lot of the time right enough, but I've had, I've had out-of-body experiences that I've not liked at all because it's happened in some cases that I've been involved in and then all of a sudden at night I go to sleep and then I'm out of my body and I'm experiencing really bad things and I, I have to get right back because I, I have control over it. So I'm kind of always on guard and always developing my spiritual power. And so it's, it's not enough just to say, I have got my worst thing that I say in my book is about woo-woo sticks, right? I mention woo-woo sticks. And what I mean is sage and incense and you're going to boot like this, right? <laughs> and thinking that that's going to banish a malevolent intelligence and get rid of an evil spirit. Evil spirits on the other side going, yeah, all right, you know, we've seen this for thousands and thousands of years. We'll bugger off and we'll come back later. So it, it, there's nothing, you know, it's, that is just cleansing and just changing a vibration of an energy. It doesn't banish evil in any way. It's, that's crap, right? Prayer and understanding the power of your, your divinity, the power of your divine authority, that's where it's at. And that's, that's a 24-7 that's a or a 12-hour, whatever, you know, that's constant that you have to keep developing. And so most people that say that, yeah, I'm saying prayers of protection and I'm protected by the white light and I bring all this in because it's, it's, yeah, I'm definitely protected. There's nothing can touch me out there. That's rubbish because your vibration tells a different story. And if there's any particular weakness, something's going to get in. It's like there can be a little chink in the chain and that chain can just have a weak spot and it can come in. And remember when a person takes part in a ritual, that's an invitation. And so if your vibration's not strong enough and you're not powerful enough in, in your own divine power and you're knowing, remember, there's a, it's, I don't believe in anything. Someone says, do you believe in life after death? I say, no, I don't believe in life after death. I know there's life after death. There's a difference between belief and knowing. Belief implies a disbelief. Belief implies that you're believing in the perception of something else because that's what you're supposed to do. So... A person needs to man know thyself. So go into the, even the New Testament things, man know thyself, which is just, it's not just about knowing who you are. It's, it's every aspect of you, every divine thought, projection, everything about you. So no matter what you take place in, if you, you go into a haunting case and you start shouting abuse at the spirits, you've just created an invitation. That invitation doesn't necessarily have to open a door within the next couple of hours. I had a case where a police officer took nine years to manifest. What was, was dealing it? with a Ouija board, and he had, it basically it happened over a small space of time, over nine years. Mm -hmm. I love this concept because this is another topic that we don't talk about a lot, which is this concept of the person and not the Ouija board. I love this. If you're in a pissed off mood, let's just yeah. su super simple. If you're in a pissed off mm -hmm. mood, 
all day long, all yeah. day long. And then let's let's just say it's for, for like a year. You've been depressed. You've been pissed off. You've been saying negative things about people. Go and, and open then, yourself up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you find the spiritual community and you're like, oh, I'm going to go and do a ritual with them. That's the worst time for worst you. Time. Because your vibration yeah. is so low and slow that you're going to, yeah. you have the potential, greater potentiality of inviting something in that's going to be the equivalent of that yeah. negative energy because mm -hmm. you don't get what you want. You get what you are. So that's mm -hmm. what you, you are the, the negativity. And I think people miss that a lot. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, well, if I just take my sage, it doesn't matter. The sage no. is an extension no. of you. You're the yeah. practitioner. You're All the you. And you also got to remember that, let's say there is a ritualistic, nothing's happened in that ritual. Maybe it's a pagan ritual. And, and I respect a lot of pagan beliefs and people that, that follow that. And they have their practices. And But you fall into that and you don't understand it. And, you know, they're doing the rituals. That's nothing to say that everybody that's in that ritual has, has developed over so many years. It's like a moth to a flame. We have a light and it draws the moth in. Right? So if it's drawing the moth, it's drawing good, it also draws evil, right? Because evil wants to extinguish the light, and, and the light attracts nature. Light attracts things, right? We, we, we don't exist without light. So whilst that circle can be protected and nothing's ever happened, that doesn't mean to say that externally that circle there's not a malevolent spirit that's trying to get in but can't get in. And then all of a sudden, that person who comes in, there's weaker disposition, they go, wow, there's a gateway. Mm -hmm. There's a way that we can get in. Boom. Yeah. That's the weak link now. We've never been able to get into this circle for, you know, hundreds of years. They've been too good. They've been too strong and everything else. But now look at that. There's someone's come in that's really weak and, had, and the chain is now weak. Now we can get in. Now, based off of what we've been talking about, mm. duality, mm -hmm. the laws of the universe, mm -hmm. divinity, would you say that that OG primordial ooze is intrinsically divine and benevolent demons were, weren't just created out of like you know it came from the light it came from divinity even in a malevolent spirit there is a divine spark the fact that it has used its restricted free will to go against the light we also don't know if that was part of a bigger plan to actually help man progress in the spiritual development. We have no answers to that. But let's just say for, uh, you know, understanding, let's just go to that whole idea of Satan, which I don't prescribe to, but fallen from grace. Satan was Lucifer. Lucifer, an ancient text, is light bringer, come from the light. Everything existed from the light. Mm. Everything goes towards the light. You plant a seed in the ground. It is surrounded in darkness, but it's natural divine instinct of power. It's natural thing to do is to go toward the light to grow. Just because the OG is light and everything comes from that, including the dark, doesn't mean that while we're in physical form or otherwise, we don't need to investigate areas of the dark. And I don't mean like malevolent forces. I just mean sort of like the dark. Psych. Yeah. To sort of yeah. understand oneself yeah. better. Yeah. Within a safe. And I'm, I'm just saying this because I want the listeners to, to understand that we're not just saying 
well, you have to be like in the light all the time and everything's no. fluffy and all this shit. You know, it's like, no, you you realize that, but then you're also able to investigate safely yeah. the darker parts of your psyche. It's all about awareness and action, Fen, right? If I say to you, you know, you did us, I don't like you, you're so fat and you're so horrible, and I see that I've caused pain in you, right? If I had no awareness of it, I don't know the destruction that I've done, right? What does it teach me? Nothing. But if I if I start to have an awareness that what I have said is wrong, that what I have said is a darker aspect of me, that I have caused you suffering, that through my choice, my free will, I have chosen to inflict suffering in you, and then I don't feel altogether okay with it, that dark aspect of me has just taught me a massive lesson and helped me to spiritually grow. So it's all about awareness and how we come aware of the darker aspects of us that teach us and how we can take action from recognizing the darker side. You know, Jung and Jungian psychology, not that I'm a psychology student or anything, but I'm fascinated with it because he 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 had a very spiritual outlook. He had, you know, and when he looked at the psych and he, you know, he saw these aspects and he he recognized that the darkness was a great teacher to someone and it was the darker aspects of them. But I have to become aware of it. I in order to learn, I have to become aware that that and that's why we do the shadow work. I want to become aware what it is that I've done that has gone against who I am as a divine being in order that I can progress further in order that I can forgive myself. Because remember, forgiveness is not about you forgiving someone. Forgiveness is not a tool. It is not a skill. Forgiveness is a power. Forgiveness is a divine power. Yeah. I mean, again, this is one of those concepts that people, (laughs) it's very difficult for people to wrap their heads around. And on an everyday basis, I'm guilty of it all all the time. I mean, and and I have an awareness of this concept. I was saying that I teach students and, and please psychology students don't hang me for this, but I say in order to recognize the power that you have in yourself to forgive and the capacity of forgiveness or the capacity to what shows you your darker aspects that you can work upon. And it's just the same people. I say, you have to learn to hug a murderer. Yeah, this is... Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to... They're going to hang you for that. Gonna, uh, well, right? this is and an there's, there's light and dark to that. Really? I mean, it's in other mysticisms as well, but this is a really Buddhist concept. I mean, this is something yeah. that you learn in... Christian concept as well. Oh, yeah. Just look at Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jesus Christ is a perfect example. Buddha. Exam- yeah. Buddha wasn't a Gautama Siddhartha wasn't a, a martyr or a, he wasn't an activist specifically, but and so and he wasn't murdered. But the concept that he taught Vipassana meditation is mm-hmm. fundamentally about hugging the murderer. I mean, exactly. There's, there's a whole documentary about it. That's <laughs> that's literally like, you know, you have to watch it like 15 times to be like, wait, wait, what? And then you, know? you go back and you find, oh, I missed that part. There's more, there's more to this, more to this, more to this. Exactly. And, and of course, I can, you know, let's bring that back to the whole malevolent intelligence and demonic side of things. When you learn that concept from Buddha, Christ, and anything else, you learn to hug a murderer, that gives you more power over anything that's dark. Because within that power is love, and love is the total opposite of what it is. 
And and here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this, is that we all talk about divine laws, law of karma, law, law of responsibility, law of cause and effect, and everything. but let's face it, there is actually only existence in the universe, there is only one law, it's the law of balance. And if we understand that, people will say the most powerful thing in the universe is love. Yes, at a material level, at how we conceptualize things. But when everything is in harmony, everything is balanced. There is no concept of love or hate because there is an equilibrium. It is still waters. It's, it's as Buddha said, it's that empty mind. It is enlightenment, fundamentally. We have some witches out there. There's a confusion here for some, some witches that when you're doing magic work, that how do I want to say this? I guess I'll use the example of Aleister Crowley. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Perfect example, right? Yeah. Loads of power this guy conjured, mm-hmm. but he was obviously in the wrong vibration. He probably would have been incredibly kick ass if he yeah. could have been operating from a place of love and a knowledge of his own true divinity, not divinity mm-hmm. in power over other people, which is mm-hmm. what he was, he was all yeah, about. Yeah, he was doing that. He was, yeah, exactly. So when witches are like, oh no, I don't know. I feel like we have to use the dark in our rituals and things like that. Don't get the semantics mixed up because you can still investigate the dark. You can do dark rituals. You can do it at night under the moon, whatever the fuck, but just make sure that your circle, your coven, whoever you're working with is their vibrations are high enough. And if you have someone that you want to look up to in your coven or your order or whatever, Make sure it's somebody who understands that love is, that's the, that's the whole enchilada. Yeah. We just did an article on him on PDN, but I lived not far away from Alistair Crowley's house in Inverness. And I have a, a, a lot of experiences from Boleskine House and to the fact that actually at one point I had Alistair Crowley's cane and I actually had his, I carried his, I had his cane at one point. I see the biggest problem that Alistair Crowley had is Alistair Crowley also tried to control the darkness and not realize where his position was. Crowley was trying to it was trying to control light and control dark. He was trying to be the controller of all. The reality was he was trying to be God. Yeah. He was trying to be the seed of all creation. And that doesn't work. Real quick for the listeners who are still like, wait, I love Aleister Crowley. He was a heroin addict for a yeah. substantial portion of his yeah. life. I mean, you you can't no. be the seed and the god of everything and also on no. heroin at the same time. No. He, he was a genius. I, I, I won't take any of the way from him. The, the guy was an occult genius. He had duality definitely within him. There was good, there was light, there was dark. But the problem was, is he tried to control both. So he was trying to basically be all powerful over all aspects. He wanted to control nature. He, he in reality, he wanted to control how a plant would grow. If we think about the whole split in consciousness and the whole fall from grace from the heavens, wasn't Lucifer a being a light who then tried to want to control everything? It's exactly the same thing. I'm not saying that Alistair Crowley was Satan incarnate, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know, he was a genius who perhaps was misunderstood, but also perhaps he misunderstood himself. 100%. I do believe 
that man was probably infested by more spirits than anyone I've ever known. I have not, not that I know him. I mean, he wasn't a friend of mine or anything, but he he probably was a harbinger of more souls than, than Beelzebub in hell. He, you know, and, and, and why didn't it affect him? Because he was a vehicle for expression of both aspects of light and dark. A lot of power that he conjured was sexual power as well. He was a deviant. He was in drugs. He was like, I mean, the guy was opened. And is, isn't it funny how Beleskin House burnt down in 2015? So weird. There was nobody there at that time, were no, was there? Yeah. No. I thought you said that you had seen or were with somebody who had seen a levitation. Is that I true? Have, I have, yeah. What was that like? Can you explain that situation real quick? You know what? It doesn't feel paranormal as such. It it feels it just feels normal. You can't let you go. Well, that's not meant to happen. That's 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 interesting because you, you're all. I was obviously already evolved in understanding this is possible. It's not as if I would go into a situation and wouldn't understand it and all of a sudden a body floats across the, you know, you would go, oh, <laughs> what is that? My God, there he's gone. There. Harry was in the chair and then he's way, way over there. It don't, it don't happen like that. But when you understand that all things are possible, you see it or you, and you feel it happening, it's weird, really. It's just... It feels natural. It feels like it's just like, okay, that's just defied gravity. Mm-hmm. WTF. Yeah. How that can happen, you know? And I've witnessed it. And I've witnessed, it was really strange. I was testing, actually, a physical medium many, many years ago. And because I have a very skeptical disposition, I was a freaking nightmare, to be honest, right? Because I'd strip everything, you know, you name it, it was coming off. Light bulbs were coming out and sockets were taken away. And... I was told, put your hand out. I put my hand out. And there was a blinding flash of light. They said, we're going to give you a gift from the other side. And I sat underneath, and there was 20-odd witnesses. There was a a blinding flash of light, and straight into my hand dropped a little wooden crucifix that was given to me. To this day, it's it's, it's in my... I, I have it to this day that was given to me for that just manifested in just pure thin air. I've also witnessed, I was told that I was going to be given a very special blue feather that was going to manifest and it dropped right into my camera bag. And I still, I still have that to this day. So when you know these things are possible, nothing becomes a shock. Demons can do the same as what the good spirits can do as well. So not all phenomena that you see in any mediumship asport apport is good. Not all manifestation is good. And that you have to have really strong discernment to understand that. Whilst nothing really scares me in terms of what I can experience in the material realm from the spirit world, what does scare me is, is how my mind or something could be more influenced by a malevolent intelligence than anything else. So I've witnessed levitation, I've witnessed apportation, I've all sorts of things. And even that voices in the air and stuff like that. I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit with some advice, maybe for the listeners. You kept throughout this conversation saying that people people don't know how to pray properly. People don't know how to protect themselves properly. And you've also said that for you, and a lot of practitioners say this, that 
you have to be on guard mentally all the time, pretty much. Yeah. I know that you could probably teach a whole course on how to do that, but yeah. is there just some <laughs> basics for people that you are, or just even one thing that you could tell people to do that would help them either raise their vibration or help protect them from negative energy or entities coming in? I would say to, to anyone without having to teach them anything ritualistic or any prayers or anything else is start to look at the world a little bit differently. So an example, someone gives you a rose and you hold the rose and you go, that's nice. Thanks very much. And you put it away. So maybe you look at the rose and you think, wow, look at the divine design. You know, where did that color come from? How did that stem grow? Where did the seed come from? Where did that come from? Where did it grow? Who picked it? So go deeper into the realm of nature to try and understand your place in the world. You know, look at a tree and don't just see a tree. You know, people see a tree and they go, yeah, that's a beautiful tree. Wow, that looks really scary or something, but start to look at it deeper. I'll try and look at everything deeper. I'll try and look into its life, its origin, where it came from, the energy, the love it's been showing, everything. So when you start to, without having to learn about using trinkets or prayers or anything else, Start to look at your, the life with a divine eye rather than a material eye. And once you start becoming aware of the divine power in you, the discernment starts to build. The spiritual power will start to build. And you can learn all the other stuff and you can learn about protection and prayers and everything else. But start with looking with divine eyes and be active in trying to see with divine eyes. That don't mean sitting in meditation, going into your third eye and trying to trying to get the answers to the universe and everything, but to see beyond what it is you see with a you know a material vision. Because the, the reality is, is that everything we experience is experienced internally. Nothing is experienced externally. So if we can just go in deeper into that story, deeper into what it is we're perceiving. And try and look at things from a divine perspective, from a divine power. Why is that person seeing the light in everything and everyone trying to be non-judgmental about anything and trying to just see with a divine eye and not a material eye? That's the whole start. That's the beginning of your journey. You don't have to be all woo-woo about anything, really. You can sit in Starbucks and develop your spirituality just by how you hold and see your coffee. It's just sort of an expanded perspective. It's, ex it's experiential. It's experiencing it, not just in the moment, but going into the life of it. We, we don't die and finish. We continue and we continue and we continue. There is a whole life and whole story. And we could go into reincarnation and all that. And that's another freaking show. But think about it. Just if you want to start developing yourself spiritually, start with you. Start with how you see the world. The big story is how you view the world is how you make the world. I do ask everybody one same question at the end of every show. What's the most profound paranormal, supernatural, woo experience that you've ever had? Like the one that stuck with you the most? All right, I'll give you a funny, because I've experienced a lot of negative and I've, I, I've even been scratched and I've had voices and I've been pushed and all sorts of things. Well, let me give you a funny one that is quite good. So North of Scotland, my wife and I are driving home from seeing a, a person, we're from seeing you know friends of ours, we just, had a, we just had a meal. 
and it's a little bit misty and it's a little bit cold. And all of a sudden I hit the freaking brakes because I nearly knocked down someone. Turns out it was a ghost that was walking across the road. And my wife and I both seen it at the exact same time. Wow. That was like, what the freaking heck was it? You know, because you, it was, and there had been, so you talk about stone tape theory or was it a spirit or was it just the, the replay of it? But the reality was, is Joe and I saw it objectively outside of, you know, both of us at the same, because I hit the brakes. I thought I'd hit someone. I was did hitting you, the brick because it was like this just walk straight out. Did and you guys get out and investigate? No, because we realized really quickly. I mean, what do we do? We get out, there's nothing there, and you're wandering about like a couple of lost sheep in the north of Scotland, <laughs> thinking, What are you doing? The police come along and say, What are you doing? I'm looking for ghosts. <laughs> I nearly knocked down some ghost and I can't find them anywhere. So it's like <laughs> No, we kind of really you don't do that thing in the north of Scotland. They're very religious for a start. But I think the fact that we both recognized what it was and we we didn't stop talking about it for ages after that. That's probably the funniest thing that we both experienced that was like because I thought I'd knocked on a ghost. Before we wrap up here, I want to make sure I plug the right things. So first of all, can people get readings with you or no? Yes, they can. There's a very long waiting list. If you're coming to me for a reading because you're interested and you just want to experience it, I'll know. You'll never get one. If you're coming to me because you're suffering from grief or your family's suffering from grief, I'll open my heart and I will help as much as I possibly can. And if you're coming to me because you're suffering from spiritual subjugation, be aware that I'm very scientific. I won't charge a penny, but I will go over and above to help you understand, educate you and deal with the problem. But don't come to me for parties and don't come to me because you want to know what your next boyfriend or girlfriend is going to be or what your future is. I'm only interested in helping people who are suffering. And that's it. That's really good to know because that's not common. So, well, I love talking with you. I mean, we went down like three. So many paths. Thousand rabbit holes. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being so thorough and sharing your personal experiences. And I just, you know, I never know what's going to happen when I get on here, like, but always something magic happens. Thank you so much. No, I'm glad. Thank you for having me on. I look forward and coming back. One thing I'll leave the readers with is the way that I look at things is how I can educate and serve humanity in a greater way. It's not about me and it's not about anything else. And it's not about how good I am or what I do. It's about how I can serve. And if you understand that and you go ahead in your life and understand it's more about service that you give to humanity, everything else will fall into place. And thank you. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed today. It's been great. Thanks, Jack. Take care. Have a good day. God bless. Bye-bye. My brain is still spinning from this conversation, but in the best possible way. You know, when somebody really gets the wheels turning, you start to think about things a little differently. That's what my conversation with Jock did. My brain's just like trying to figure out, trying to process and connect between things I've learned in the past with what Jock just told me. It's a process. I've re-listened to that part about free will a few times. And I have to say, I don't entirely understand how to even wrap my head around that one. I think it's because we don't generally remember all the details of our past lives. And so 
concepts like soul contracts and paths that we want to learn from prior to manifesting in the bodies. Again, it's just hard to process, but I feel there's truth to it. This mystical process of reincarnation makes part of that free will theory forever mysterious. Like you just can't crack that case. And that's just how the woo rolls, right? You can get a little of the truth, but never all of it. The universe loves to remain coy and mysterious. What do you think? Do you think free will is restricted to some extent? Do you think people who are more spiritually inclined have more of a mission than others? And how about the hugging the murderer concept? That nonviolent headspace is difficult for humans to maintain, but there's something incredibly powerful about it. I love talking to Jock. I'm still investigating his work, and he's working on loads of amazing projects. I recommend his book, Deadly Departed, The Do's and Don'ts of Afterlife Communication. There's also going to be a second part to Deadly Departed that's coming out in the future, so make sure you follow Jock on social so you can be notified when that happens. He's also the editor of Paranormal Daily News, which is a global paranormal magazine that covers science, education, and how it intersects with what I call the woo. He has an awesome and informative YouTube channel that has loads of helpful videos. And if that wasn't enough, he also has a new magazine coming out called Parawise. You can keep up with all that on his social media and his website. And of course, all of those links will be in the show notes for this episode. All right. Okay. One more weird week down in the books, and there's another one on the horizon. And I will keep you updated in my weirdness as much as I can. Remember, you can always reach out to me if you want to share your weirdness. That's my favorite thing to talk about. Let the woo guide you if it feels good. Bye! Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the Order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 